You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell. And in this episode, we're going to deviate slightly from the brand of only having guests with a connection to the dental industry. From time to time, we're going to mix in successful entrepreneurs from other disciplines as long as they have interesting stories. And that applies to Ryan Warren. Ryan is the founder of QSTN LLC, which was created with the objective of making a positive difference in the world through questioning the status quo. His experience includes 11 years of energy efficiency program design and implementation, and he holds a BS, MS, and PhD in mechanical engineering. Ryan, welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. Excited to be here. So really intrigued by several things uh, in that biography, but let's start with some context (laughs) for the audience. Uh, Could you share a little background about your company, QSTN, and just how you got to this current point in your business and in your career? Sure. So in a sentence, uh, QSTN is an organization that works to solve problems and make positive impacts through questioning convention. Um, and we do that through, and when, when I say we, I mean me, <laughs> still working on uh, growing and building a team. But, uh, you know, we use a, a, a handful of different techniques um, using human-centered design approach, which was uh, developed at the Stanford University Design School. Uh, work hard to see the world through different lenses. Um, often, I think, uh, which leads you to different answers or solutions. Uh, we do that through having very intentional mindsets, um, such as optimism, uh, being very open to failure and learning from failure, not being afraid to take some risks, uh, gaining really deep level of empathy for um, the end user or, who, or, or, the, or the client or who we're designing for or working with, staying really positive. Um, I think attitude is really um, contagious. So staying positive uh, uh, is important, I think, for our work. Uh, and then always uh, asking questions. So uh, QSTN stands for question. And it's kind of uh, where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of tangible services that we offer. Uh, we, we do a lot of work in the energy efficiency uh, program design and implementation space. That's a, a lot of my past. And so we've been applying um, some of these techniques for questioning convention and coming up with new and better ways of, of doing things um, there. Uh, also offer um, services to help organizations facilitate innovation. So we've got a couple of techniques um, that does that. There's a bunch of ways you can do that. Uh, we've even worked to um, apply this kind of approach and mindset to uh, clothing design. <laughs> so uh, wow. working to apply it in a, a, a number of ways. Uh, but I, you know, I think our world changes every day. So I believe that in order to stay impactful in a changing world, we also need to change. So in really general terms, I think um, we work to help our our clients with that, changing with change. You mentioned something uh, a couple minutes back, but it was a a concept or a term called human-centered design. Uh, Could you expand on that? That raised my ears a little bit, and I'm curious as to what that is and how that would fit in 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 your world in the energy consulting space. Sure. Uh, so human-centered design was an approach uh, that was developed at uh, Stanford University uh, Design School. 
And I get really excited about it because it, 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 it's a very different um, way of seeing the world than a, than a tra- tra- traditional design. So in traditional design, the assumption is that the subject matter expert uh, holds all the answers. So say, for example, you were to build a, a building, you would hire a bunch of subject matter experts. Uh, an architect, an engineer, an interior designer, mm-hmm. and in exchange for a fee, they would give you um, a design. In human-centered design, the assumption is that the end user uh, holds all the answers, and it's the designer's job to pull um, insights and uh, through gaining a deep level of empathy of the end user uh, that lead you to a solution that's really tailored to, to your um uh, end user. And so it, 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 if you've ever um, used a product or service and thought to yourself, you know, whoever designed this thing has never used it. <laughs> That's part of what human-centered design, I think, aims to uh, fix. Uh, it's really founded in your um, end user. There's kind of three big picture uh, steps to it. There's an inspiration phase where you're working to gain a really deep level of understanding and empathy for the end user that's doing things like uh, in-person interviews, um, in-context immersion, uh, just basic best practice research or online uh, research. There's an ideation phase where you're looking to make sense of all the things that you learn, uh, looking for trends and themes and developing insights, which drive how might we questions that facilitate brainstorming sessions where you come up with tons of ideas, you kind of lump those ideas together in concepts, uh, which kind of leads you to the last phase, and that's the implementation phase, where you test and learn and prototype and iterate uh, until you uh, land at a, a final design. So um, we've been really successful uh, 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 applying this approach in the energy efficiency space. Uh, it's not an approach I've seen applied uh, before in that space, and so it's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I, it's just a different way to see the world which I think often leads you to a different answer. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit here. You're on the hot seat, I guess. Uh, is there an example that you could give to someone who's not real well-versed in energy design about how that approach has led to an end result that just would be beyond anything that the conventional process would have uh, created or led to? Yeah, good question. Um so we were working on designing a energy efficiency program that targets dry cleaners and helps them identify and fix faulty steam traps. So there's a lot of energy savings that can be uh, captured in a, in a project like that. Mm-hmm. And so for years and years, uh, I've designed these programs um, using a more traditional approach. This time we use the human-centered design approach. And so one of the um, uh, primary channels for learning about your end user is in-person interviews. So uh, we uh, we had a couple of the team members go to, um, I have a partner uh, and a couple of our team members went out into the field and to interview a few of the dry cleaners to just gain a better understanding for um, who they are as a business owner, their challenges, priorities, values, things like that. And uh, the first, um, second, and third tries, 
we were all each time the uh, the owner of the business uh, declined to speak with us. And the last one said, um, you know, we're approached all the time by people who say they're with our utility. I called our utility. The utility said they don't send folks to our site. Uh, and um, I'm not interested or willing to talk to you. And so what we learned in that experience was that um, dry cleaners are approached off the street uh, very often. Uh, there's a high level of skepticism and trust that uh, we were going to have to build mm-hmm. uh, initially if we were to uh, successfully work with this, these customers. But having we not had, had we not go out into the market and uh, try and um, engage with different dry cleaners to learn from them, we would have never uh, learned from that experience. And so, um, uh, yeah, that would be an example of where I feel human-centered design led us to some insights that we did not have uh, in the past. Interesting. Interesting. And any chance that you could get yourself hired on at Ikea, just uh, someone who has had to put together and assemble all (laughs) kinds of furniture from there my thought I would love <laughs> the person that yeah. uh, came up with this idea and the instructions has never actually tried to do it themselves <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I would love to take on a project like that <laughs> i kid i kid uh, maybe to go in a little bit different direction so you were someone who worked uh, more or less if to to put it really simply as an employee for the uh, initial stage of your career sure. for the first uh i don't know eight to ten years and in the last two and a half, three years, you've gone out on your own and uh, created QSTN and kind of put out your own shingle and become your own boss. Uh, Could you share a little bit about what that process has been like for you and some lessons you've learned along the way and some maybe some triumphs that you've had too or some points of uh, exhilaration that are also possible as all of us professional practice owners know too? Yeah, sure. So um, I I grew up in a family business in the past in a pasta manufacturing business. Okay. Um, and so I always felt like uh, trying something on my own was in my blood. It's always something that I, I wanted to do in the long term, but I didn't really know what long term meant. I was very happy at my uh, past employer. Uh, it was, um, it was comfortable. Uh, and I think I, I made the transition for two primary reasons. So the the first is, I think time goes really fast. And I was really afraid that one day I was going to wake up uh, and be at the end of my career and Mm -hmm. had never given it a try. So I think I was afraid of regretting not giving it a try. And I think the second um, reason was um, uh, there's some things that I really wanted to do different in terms of how an organization worked. Um, and so I guess that was kind of the drivers for, um, for the transition. Uh, I've learned since that um, I don't know that I would say it's better or worse. I would just say it's different. Um, and there's pros and cons to both. And I think it's just a matter of what set of conditions you're, you're most comfortable in. Um, I'm, Still really happy with my decision. I'm super excited about QSTN and um, where things are um, where things are going. Um, and and every day feels like a a, a new day of the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, 
yeah, I, you know, in terms of accomplishments or um, things I'm proud of, you had mentioned, uh, I think just taking that step was a big step. Uh, like I said, I wasn't unhappy and it was, I was pretty comfortable. I was treated well. Um, uh, uh, but I knew it was something I wanted to try. It was not easy to step out of something comfortable and familiar and safe. Um, and so I was pretty proud to have made, just made that step, uh, kind of the next big milestone. I feel like I hit as a business owner is just standing things up logistically. Uh, that's pretty quick and relatively straightforward. Um, the next milestone I think, uh, was finding some work to turn the lights on uh, or keep lights on. Um, and so I was pretty excited about, um, uh, finding a few things, uh, that will allow me to do that. And, uh, since I've been, uh, working towards kind of the next milestone of starting to build a team, I think I'm almost there in the next few months. I'm hoping to have made a hire or two. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the big picture journey, I think up to, up to this point. So that last point, maybe we can circle back to if we have time, but I'm really intrigued by what you said earlier on about kind of being raised in a family that had a pasta company. Um, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how much did that have to do with kind of that entrepreneurial spirit being built into you perhaps? And, you know, was that a big part of what led you to decide to, to take a chance and go out on your own and not follow the safe path? Yeah, I think it was a huge part. I, I think that in general, you, you know, we're all of us are comfortable with what we're used to. and you know, growing up in a family business, that was the environment that was really normal to me. Um, and so I think it really helped um, with taking that step uh, of trying to start something on your own. I think it gave me, yeah, I had, I had a certain level of comfort with it because I was, I was used to it. I think I had a certain level of confidence with it because I've seen it work. Um, I have a lot of uh, great friends and mentors I, I lean on for advice. and <laughs> um, But yeah, I think th- that was a big part of uh, kind of setting me up for, for that, for sure. Okay. And tell me more about the pasta business. I think the audience might be interested in that a little bit too, and kind of how your yeah. family uh, evolved with that. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story. So my uh, grandpa was an entrepreneur uh, for sure. Uh, he had a number of different businesses going, one of which uh, he had a uh, chicken coops and sold eggs to local uh, grocery stores. Okay. And there was a time that the eggs weren't selling very well. Uh, egg is the most expensive ingredient in pasta. It's, it's effectively flour and water from there. And so he started making pasta uh, in his basement. Um, wow. And my dad and my uncle are both engineers. Uh, so um, uh, they went to school, came back. Uh, joined the family business and in the um, early 70s uh, built it out of my grandpa's basement into um, a business that they uh, sold in the early 2000s, but uh, full service pasta manufacturer selling pasta all over the country. So yeah, I grew up um, eating a lot of pasta. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. So, you know, you hear so many lessons or stories in, in business that are similar to that in that what the person started out doing wasn't at all what they ended up doing and that there had to be a sure. a pivot somewhere along the way based on market conditions and just based on uh, courage and gut feeling too. And and you mentioned a little while ago about how 
while a lot of your expertise is in the energy consulting space, that you also have some other interests uh, as well that are completely in a different direction from that, that also could uh, eventually, perhaps uh, through some more exploration, be a part of QSTN. Uh, could you share a little bit more about that and maybe what a few of those potential pivots could be for you, not to lock you down? Yeah, sure. So I I feel really clear on the why in that, um, you know, looking to solve problems and make impacts through questioning convention and even the how in terms of different techniques uh, we use and core values we align with. I feel very strongly about uh, a solid set of core values. Um, it's the what that I've been working to figure out um, uh, some more clarity on. Um, I started in the energy space. That's kind of who I know and what I know. And it's been a lot of fun to apply some of these new techniques in, in that space. Uh, one of the projects I'm working on is uh, designing a coat. Uh, so I'm using a human-centered design approach to um, uh, to that. So that would be a, a kind of a fun pivot. But, you know, kind of testing and learning, trying to be mindful of what feels like it clicks for me personally or resonates for me. What I get excited about um, is, is kind of some of the things I think about, but I, the pivot, the pivot, the pivoting is interesting because if there's one, one lesson I think I've learned since going out on my own um, is that you have to be open uh, to, to, to almost anything in terms of business development. I feel like my past approach has always been, you know, I wanted to be really prepared because I wanted to not waste anyone's time. I wanted to make sure I had interesting things to say and good ideas to share. Um, and so I would often pr- really do a lot of preparation for partnership discussions or our new opportunity discussions. Uh, but I feel like that really closed the path to um, some different opportunities. Mm. I've since kind of recognized the hard way that <laughs> Uh, you know, it doesn't always go the way you think it might go. And the remaining open to letting the discussion go where it naturally wants to go leads you to some really fun and interesting um, places. And so I think just the openness, uh, the willingness to be open um, really helps allow and form, you know, where a pivot might might make sense. But um, so, yeah learning to wing it a little bit more has been beneficial yeah. to put it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just being a little more comfortable with ambiguity and, um, you know, just confident in yourself that, um, you'll have something interesting to say, or you'll have some insight into wherever that discussion, uh, might lead. And I'm also a big believer that if you don't know, um, then you don't know. And that's, that's also okay. I, I like to think of it as the, the, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Um, and so sometimes the smarter I get, the dumber I feel. <laughs> I think that's a common uh, characteristic for a lot of people who have been successful and uh, are smart as recognizing that they don't know. But uh, I'm interested and intrigued that, you know, you kind of recognize, you know, stereotypically, uh, someone with an engineering background likes to probably know the outcome ahead of time or likes to feel sure. all up. And then you contrast that with kind of how you were raised in an entrepreneurial family and, you know, all bets are off in, in, in some of those, uh, in, in that kind of environment at times. So, uh, interesting how you've learned and evolved Certainly. to, uh, just wing it a little bit more and perhaps 
end up in a better place or a more creative place than you would have if you tried to over prepare. And now I'm talking to myself when I say this a little bit too, uh, what the outcome <laughs> might have been. So uh, very interesting. Certainly. So uh, the title of the podcast, obviously, is the, the Practice Growth Podcast. How do you think about growth? I know you mentioned hiring a team member as being maybe the next big step for QSTN. Uh, could you share a little bit more your thoughts and your philosophies on growth and kind of not to uh, pigeonhole you, but the, how the team uh, around you fits in perhaps in the long haul? Yeah. So in the early stages um, of, of QSTN, I've thought about growth in, in these kind of milestone, um, in a kind of a milestone format where, you know, the, the first step is just turning the lights on. Um, uh, and keeping the lights on, um, and then and the so many people step, never even get to that point, right? They just never yeah, get sure. the courage to put it out there and go on their own. Yeah, Con- it's so hard. that's a that's yeah. a big step. <laughs> yeah, but, I think but, so. But continue. I, you're on your way. I just wanted to point that out. That you know, that's that's not for everybody. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, first step is just turn the lights on and keep the lights on. And I and I think the second step for me is to start to build a, a team. Like sometimes I feel like I've been successful at becoming self-employed, but I haven't made the step into being successful into uh, building a business. So I've been thinking a lot about um, as the next milestone of growth is to, is to, is to have enough work that I can start to um, support a team. And I, I think that having a team will help accelerate, accelerate growth also i'm a believer that innovation comes through collaboration um and so you know there's only so much i can do trying to brainstorm by myself that only takes me so far uh really a lot of the ideas for um uh that i think will help with that growth would come through uh, bouncing ideas off of others and so i've i've tried to kind of circumvent that by partnering which has been great uh, and so I can kind of partner up with another team and uh, work in that way. Um, I think longer term, I'm not quite for sure what that looks like. I think the default is to start looking at revenue growth. Um, to me, that um, I think has some value because it's a normalized metric, you know, that reflects effectively the amount of work you're doing. But I don't know that it necessarily reflects the impacts you're having, or maybe there's just better ways to do that. And so I've and this is part of how I kind of envision QSTN being a different than maybe some other businesses in that I'd love to look at growth in terms of impacts. I don't quite know um, what that will look like, uh, but, um, you know, financials, I think, are healthy. I'd like to think of, I'm sorry, financials are important. I'd like to think of financials in terms of health. I think part of having healthy financials is um, not only revenue, but profit. Uh, and not only profit, but growth. Uh, so those, I think, will be metrics to look at. But I would love to think about growth in terms of impacts and kind of yet to be determined, I guess. <laughs> An impact with or to whom, I guess, would be my follow-up to that. Yeah, good question. You know, in the energy space that I've worked in for a number of years, you know, one way to quantify impact would be how many customers did we help uh, or how much energy uh, did we save through designing and implementing these programs or how much money did we save customers uh, that we helped uh, them identify and implement an energy efficiency project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the impact may be different for clothing. 
uh, I think um, I really believe in the look good, feel good. And so I think there's a completely different impact that um, a really well-designed coat uh, would provide the world. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll depend a little bit on the specifics of the project, but that's a couple of examples, I think. So give me a little bit more about the coat because I'm intrigued by that. Uh, when you say a coat, <laughs> give me some broad strokes to, to vision I, or to envision. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of I this brown leather, uh, more trench coat <laughs> from like the seventies, but maybe I just watched Donnie Brasco last night on Netflix when I was falling asleep yeah. and anything like sure. that or a completely different direction. Yeah. I, I, so like I said, I'm a believer of kind of look good, feel good. I, I've had it. I've always had an interest in clothes for that reason it, it's like how it makes me feel it's a way of self-expression um and i'm also um tall and so growing up i feel like things have never fit me well mm. and so one of the ideas i had for this coat was to redo the sizing system so maybe uh, and this is being done in some ways and in, in 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 certain places but you know instead of just small medium large extra large so on Maybe within each of those, there's um, a slim fit, uh, uh, a regular fit, and a relaxed fit. Mm-hmm. And then for each of those, you could have uh, sh- uh, shorter sleeves, regular sleeves, and longer sleeves. Maybe a short, regular, longer torso. But it just seems to me that um, we're all different sizes as humans, but there's only you know a handful of sizes that you can buy for a coat, for example. Uh, so I'd love to redo the sizing system. I'd love to uh, uh, build a coat that gets better with age. I love things that wear in, like a good pair of boots or a hardwood floor. Uh, better, you know, better with use. Um, I'd love to um, um, uh, consider like a transparent pricing model. Uh, source um, materials from environmentally conscious places that really aligns with a lot of my energy background. Mm-hmm. So there's just a few things I'd like to change about kind of how we look at that default of uh, what we were, what we'd buy in a coat today. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interest. I think it's a great way to challenge the status quo. It totally aligns with the, with the, with the business. Why it's definitely a different area and industry than I've worked uh, in the past, but I also think sometimes the ignorance is bliss. <laughs> you know, if I, if I knew that industry much better, there's probably a lot more barriers I'd see. Uh, at this point, uh, I have a lot of interest in it and a handful of ideas. And, um, you know, another thing I feel like I've learned as a business owner is you just give it a try. Um, you might be surprised on uh, what comes out of uh, the effort. Interesting. Well, I'm intrigued and, and I'm someone who, <laughs> uh, like you, has had trouble as an adult male of finding things that fit me or I feel good and uh, look good wearing in my own self-evaluation too. So I'm intrigued by this coat and uh, yeah, obviously please keep us updated on, on your progress there. As we start to wrap up, speaking of that um, for people that are interested in learning more, getting in touch with you perhaps about some of the topics we've touched on uh, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. I'd love to hear from anybody. Um, uh, You can connect with me on LinkedIn uh, have an account there. And then uh, also feel free to send me an email, rwarren at q-dsm.com. So that email once again is rwarren, W-A-R-R-E-N at q-dsm.com. Yep. That's correct. Awesome. 
Well, Ryan, really enjoyed our conversation and hearing just a yeah, lot likely. more details about your your very interesting story. I think there's so many uh, transferable <laughs> lessons in your journey. Thanks again for for sharing so openly and for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Carroll Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Carroll Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2020-109691, expiration date October 2022.